Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got a, another great episode for you. Uh, we will get into some more uh, sports book finds. Uh, we'll get into the acquisition of uh, Barstool Sports. Uh, but first, I thought we would uh, talk about a story uh, in Nevada uh, where we uh, founded the company. Um, and it kind of touches on something that we we, we talked about last week in terms of just how um, the the tech in Nevada is different than in other states, you know, including for these sports books who are, are you know, in many states, um, but yet they're, the tech they use and the apps they use in Nevada are different. Um, and, you know, I mentioned how just the, the process of, of getting a new, new tech, new app into Nevada is a very uh, long and expensive process. So a lot of these sports books like MGM and Caesars um, have just opted so far to use the their legacy tech, essentially, what they've been using for literally decades. Um, and also, also for, so uh, basically, there was a story last week, um, and it happened uh, when we recorded, but I didn't realize it was going to last this long. But uh, William Hill in Nevada crashed during the second quarter of the Super Bowl. Uh, when I say crashed, I mean their in-person betting was down and their mobile betting app was down. They did not come back up until Wednesday night. So essentially three full days of not only people not being able to place a bet, but not being able to collect money on their bet. So if you bet that's if you know money at Caesars Palace uh, on the Super Bowl on the Chiefs, and let's say you were in town visiting, you could not get that money before you left town. Uh, literally no money in, no money out of any William Hill uh, location uh, for three days starting during the, the Super Bowl. Uh, and so, also, if you're not familiar, uh, William Hill is owned by Caesars. William Hill was their own company, kind of like the 7-Eleven of, of sports books, if you will, where they were just, they had a ton of locations across Nevada, uh, which uh, obviously serves a, a, it's a big advantage when um, most of the betting is done, or you, if you want to bet on your app, you have to deposit in person, you have to sign up in person. So, they, they have the, uh, a huge amount of, of, of locations. Um, in fact, in 2021, the, the Caesars CEO uh, said that Caesars, which also includes William Hill, accounts for about 50% of the sports bets uh, in, in Nevada. So this is uh, far and away the, the largest, you know, sports book chain in, in Nevada. Uh, and so, Luke, I'll ask you, I mean, you know, A, how, how do, I mean, how, I don't think you know the answer, but how does this happen? And, you know, should Caesars slash William Hill be be, you know, kind of held responsible and fined uh, for, for having this happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the idea that we talked about last week that the Nevada technology uh, licensing process and Nevada technology testing process is so behind the times that, uh, and it's so laborious that like Caesars doesn't have another choice. Like they have to use this old tech. And cause obviously Caesars in New Jersey was fine, you know, Caesars in, you know, um, and PA was fine. So, um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's tough. I, it's difficult to hear that Caesars had to deal with that. Cause it's, I have a difficult time blaming them is my point. Like it's, it's a Nevada licensing and testing regulatory, um, issue. So it's, if I'm Tom Reed, that'd be super, super frustrating. Um, you know, obviously to miss the, the most popular sports event of the year. 
Um, and then, you know, as we've learned to prop swap, like, and we've, you know, studied many different use cases, like paying Hillary Clinton early in the uh, 2016 election, like the earlier you pay sports bettors, the more they gamble it right back. So, you know, a lot of these people who maybe bet on the Chiefs money line, just as one example, last Sunday night would have been making a bunch of college basketball bets and NBA bets and maybe some preseason MLB bets. But now all those people, you know, had three and a half days to uh, maybe use somewhere else, maybe not bet anymore. Like there's, it's just a disaster for Caesar. So my, it's tough to hear for them. Yeah, um, definitely cost them millions in handle. Um, not only, you know, dur- you know, the live betting during the game, you know, uh, in addition to, like you said, all of the, the, the re-wagers, you know, coming from the, the, the winners uh, of, of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I mean, clearly I think this, you got to point the fact that this happened during the Super Bowl. Uh, and so obviously this was like, I, I think it was just way too much traffic probably uh, that, that caused this, but, um, you know, I, if it takes them three days, clearly they don't even really know what the issue is. I mean, I, I can't think of, you know, people were, you know, guessing that maybe they were hacked or something like, but I, I do, that does not seem like there's the case. It did not seem like someone else got, took control of their systems. It was like, it shut down and like, you know, it's like a, like a car that, you know, like an old car that they couldn't get to, to, to restart. And um, it took them three, three full days. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I did see in one of the articles that said like, this was last year, but you know Caesars. You know Caesars has been wanting to uh, input their their the the tech they use in other states into Nevada, and they said you know it's their goal was to have it by the end of 2022. Well, guess what? We're we're now 2023, and they still haven't done it. And again, I I don't think it's for their lack of desire. I think it's yeah, like we've talked about, it's it's the the barriers that that Nevada puts up uh, to to integrate any any of this new tech. So um, I guess that is true. It's like if you're the GCB, uh, on one hand, you want to, you know, find them responsible for, you know, you know, kind of a black eye and like uh, not being able to pay wagers in, in, a, in a short amount of time. But on their hand, it's like it's kind of, there's also kind of caused by the GCB to a, to a little extent where the, the, you know, they don't make it easy to to bring in, you know, new tech where this wouldn't have happened, where like the there wouldn't be this overload of traffic during the Super Bowl that, that would have caused it. So, um, yeah, just a. Uh, not not a great situation for for uh, for anyone involved, um, and uh, it will be interesting to see if, if anything kind of arises out of this where uh, they do make a change, or you know, just if we see William Hills slash Caesar's business go down in Nevada, because um, who knows how many customers? You know, people always say this too, where they're like, "Oh, I'm not betting there ever again," um, but this could be something where uh, other you know customers look to other sports books, where it's like. You know, it might be a little more inconvenient to go place the bet, but guess what? I, I'm going to have a little more confidence. I'm going to get paid. You know, if uh, if it if it wins. Mm-hmm. Um, then so switching from my uh, my previous home state to my new home state, um, Monarch Casino in Colorado, which uh, the the also have a location under a different name in Northern Nevada, but Monarch Casino uh, in in Blackhawk, uh, Colorado, uh, which is about. 50 minutes outside of Denver. Uh, and I would say it is either the, the nicest or the second, you know, top two in terms of nicest casinos in, in Blackhawk, which um, if you've never been, it's, it's a very small mining town population, 127 people, but uh, there's about, I don't know, 20 different casinos uh, in there ranging from, you know, little bingo hall to, uh, to an actual, you know, nice hotel resort. Um, but this came out last week and I just, 
I, I just still can't get over the story, but uh, Monarch self-reported uh, to the, the Colorado Game Commission that three employees were placing bets uh, both in person at the Monarch Sportsbook and on the Monarch app using a customer's account who lives in Florida. Um, and I, I should say, you know, and the self-reported for, for proxy betting. Uh, and so if, if you're not familiar with proxy betting, basically that is, you know, person A telling person B in a different state to make a bet on their behalf, right? Which is, which is illegal. You can't uh, tell someone to go make a bet for you um, and you're living in a, in a different state. And, you know, usually it's a, it's a state without sports betting. Um, so 60 bets were placed over a six month period, totaling $60,000 in handle. Uh, and in fact, the, uh, the geolocation data showed that one of the employees who was doing this was placing bets from his work phone at his house. Uh, and so uh, Monarch was, uh, they paid a $400,000 fine, um, which I guess it was described as $5,000 for each uh, of the illegal proxy bets. Uh, and so Luke, I'll ask you, I mean, why, uh, what, why do you think these employees were, were doing this on behalf of, uh, of a customer who was betting $60,000 total over six months, so 10K a month? So, you know, I'm not saying that's a small amount of money, but that's not exactly, you know, whale size uh, wagers. Why do you think these employees were, were doing this for this customer? Uh, clearly, they're getting paid, you know, and or they're very friendly with this customer who lives in Florida. Um, but, you know, I guess push aside that they were betting from their house like all right like that's you know what are they supposed to do it if if they're making this these proxy bets for someone else but doing it on your work phone is obviously ridiculous and then just like why aren't you having a non-employee do this like just have your roommate if you do have a roommate or your wife or anyone you know who lives in the state of colorado like log in with johnny's id from florida his own password and place those bets. It's still illegal to be clear. Like, but I just, if you're going to do this deed, like why wouldn't you just have someone else do this as opposed to you, the employee logging in for them? Like you're, you're a dummy. Well, yeah, I mean, but they were exactly. So they, they were placing the bets under the, in the custom, in the, the customer's account. So this person had come to Bonarch, registered for an account, said his address was Florida. And then now all of a sudden, this person who lives in Florida is now making, you know, sixty bets over six months. So I mean, that that would be red flag number one, right? Uh, and so clearly, you know, I, I have to imagine that you know there was some reason why the guy or these employees decided to make the bets under the customers' accounts. But like that would, have been in my mind, I'd be like, okay, that's paper trail flag flag number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, yeah, my thing would be like, why wouldn't you, yeah, make the bets under a at a different sports book, like? just be making sure. the bets under DraftKings. Like, are they that loyal to, to their employer where they're like, Hey man, like we're going to get a, a bonus. If, if, uh, if this guy bets, you know, 10 K a month, like I, I, you know, no employee, no sports book employees get any sort of bonuses for an increase in handle. Um, so yeah, the fact that the wouldn't be making the bets under their own personal accounts. And then the fact that, uh, the, you know, felt the need to make it, uh, at their own sports book, and the other, yeah, I mean, because the other thing too is that, so I, I used to work for Cantor Gaming, you know, uh, as a risk manager and some other roles. Uh, but like I said, one of my jobs was was being as a risk manager and I was still able to bet sports, just not at the company that, that employed me. Like that was the rule number one. So, I mean, I could make as many bets as I wanted, just not with the company that employed me. So 
yeah, to be doing this from your work phone, betting at the sports book that you're not supposed to be betting at, um, under a, a guy's account living across the country, uh, this just seems like such a not well thought out uh, idea. And and I am curious if there will be any sort of penalties for these individuals, not just the the four hundred thousand dollar fine from uh, from Monarch. I mean, I'm I would wager a lot of money that those employees no longer uh, no longer work there. Agreed. Um, so yeah, so uh, yeah, note to, sell, note to anyone out there, if you're ever working at Sportsbook, do not uh, proxy bet um, at, at your employer. Um, and then moving on, um, I thought the other kind of big story of the last week was that uh, Penn um, completed their complete acquisition of Barstool Sports. Uh, so if you're unfamiliar, uh, back in 2020, uh, Penn bought a 36% stake in Barstool for $163 million. And that deal included a right of first refusal for Penn to then buy the remaining 64%, which they did last week for an additional uh, $388 million. Uh, so um, that this deal, which you know, is paying $388 million for 64%, values Barstool at just over $600 million uh, for the company. Um, and, you know, it should be noted, you know, obviously Barstool Sports, you know, has a ton of podcasts and, you know, content business and, and all this stuff, but, you know, Penn uses Barstool, uh, basically as their entire marketing arm for their sports book. So anytime you go into a Penn casino, um, that's located in a, in a sports betting state, that is a Barstool branded sports book, right? You, it doesn't say Penn anywhere. It just says Barstool. Um, it's the, the, they do not spend, they spend very little on traditional marketing compared to. Uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM. Basically, it's like the the use Barstool employees and their podcast and their content generation as a way to push the Barstool sports book. Um, so uh, I'll ask you: uh, good deal, okay deal, bad deal for uh, for Penn? <laughs> One of the best deals uh, since we've been following this industry. You know, started the company in 2015, following it for four years prior to that. One of the best deals yet. So you figure, um, so like you said, that was a valuation. This this uh, final purchase values it at six oh six million. The um, purchase in twenty twenty values it at four hundred fifty million. I mean, that's you know to get them at four hundred fifty million dollars back in twenty twenty when the markets were roaring. Um, and you know, I realized that soon thereafter, I believe this was like this time, twenty twenty, so right before COVID, markets were relatively hot. Um, and then of course they dipped in the summer, but then roared back in um, at the end of the year and then had a really, really strong twenty twenty one. Like for all of that time, this was like one of the best acquisitions. I don't care what industry you're talking about, but then fast forward to today when valuations are a little bit softer than they were in 2021, but still, I mean, you're getting uh, what's easily a billion dollar media company easily uh, for 606 million. Like that's, so like from a valuation perspective, they hit it out of the park to Jay Snowden, um, who's been a casino guy his whole life, um, spent a ton of time in Vegas. I think moved to Las Vegas right out of college, knowing he wanted to work in the casino industry. So kudos to him. I've met him a couple of times, really nice guy, nice, sharp, you know, um, has, has helped us out. So, um, yeah, he hit the ball out of the park and then like, just conceptually speaking, like if I'm Penn and I, I'm like a s small 
casino operator that operates in like really, you know, tiny areas of the country, not to, you know, dig at Blackhawk or in, you know, Southern Illinois, or um, I think they have a casino in Pennsylvania. They, don't, they actually don't have that many casinos in Pennsylvania, which is an ironic name for the company. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, uh, they really don't have that much of a presence out there in terms of um, revenue produced in the state of Pennsylvania. So um, my point is small to mid tier casino operator, like, nowhere near the the MGMs and Caesars of the world win Venetian. And then even that middle tier, like I would even say Rivers probably does more top line in terms of brick and mortar. Um, so yeah, how do you make a splash? How do you get into the mobile sports betting space? Cause you're not doing it by advertising with that budget, with that balance sheet. I think they're like a, I think they're like a $1.5 billion market cap company, um, you know, at, at their low right now. So um, how do you get into mobile sports betting? You know, you acquire a consumer brand that a ton of males follow. Obviously, we know that the industry is 95% plus males. Um, what do you do to get into that space? You acquire a brand that has a bunch of male followers that also like to bet on sports. So from a valuation perspective, it's great. And then just from a logic perspective of them trying to pivot from brick and mortar, with, which is 70% slot machine revenue into the mobile sports betting space, which is, of course, all done digital. And it's, it's a totally different customer set. Like, you know, bravo to, for both of those points. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, this was a fantastic deal for, for Penn uh, to get Barstool at the price that they paid. Uh, when, and, you know, you compare it to the fact that DraftKings will spend $600 million a year or something like that in, in, in marketing. We can get to that in, in a second. Yeah. But, um, the, you know, the, 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 the downside or, like, you know, the risk for Penn, you know, which was said with the, made the, the, the initial deal and, you know, has been, you know, said many times is just, um, you know, Barstool is not exactly the most, you know, the responsible gaming and, and, you know, you know, the, the, the gaming industry is a very highly regulated and like, kind of like, you know, follow the rules and everyone's very nervous to like, you know, steer outside those rules and Barstool kind of has made their name for kind of breaking the rules and, and not really caring. And so that is a, and so I think one of the, the big concerns was that like, you know, is a Barstool employee or, you know, Dave Portnoy, you know, going to say something or do something that's going to like, you know, put pen in jeopardy in front of these regulators. And, you know, we have seen a little bit of that. And, you know, in Ohio, for example, uh, that we talked about this podcast before that, like the Ohio regulators find pen um, for the fact that the Barstool college football show, which was being, you know, held at a, you know, a Toledo, I want to say, or, you know, some, some, some campus in, in Ohio. And like, it was basically promoting gambling and uh, alcohol to, you know, to college students uh, and they paid a fine. And, you know, that's going to keep happening, but like overall, um, and, and I don't know, uh, Barstool's exact, like, you know, revenue figures, whatever, but like they make money, like, and that is such a rare thing in this industry to have, like, to have a company that, that makes money. Uh, and so they're a profitable business. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, just a great deal, uh, for, uh, for Penn. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it, uh, we'll see how it plays out, but, uh. Um, I mean, you compare it to other deals in that sports betting space. I mean, yeah. So the other thing I would say was that, um, in, you know, like Penn could have picked a bunch of different companies to do this for, right? But like, I would say to your point, kudos to Penn for picking the right company. I mean, there was there's a lot of other like podcast or content type of you know businesses, and and kudos to them for picking like the exact right one at at a great price. But um, I mean, you know, we're, you know, how does this compare to like other similar deals? Would you say like in this space of like sports books acquiring 
another company for the purposes of of trying to use it as a marketing arm and, and customer acquisition. Yeah. So um, to, to uh, your point earlier about DraftKings, I mean, DraftKings is spending a billion dollars on advertising in um, 2021. Um, I believe you're right. They might have spent, they might have dropped it by 40% this year in the, the fiscal year of 2022. So they might have uh, reduced it by 40%. But in 2021, they spent a billion on advertising. So if you could acquire a company, if I'm Penn and I can acquire an, an entire company at a $550 million blended valuation, and then I can just flip it if I want for a billion, like now, or even at the end of 2022 or end of 2023, like <laughs> they're, that's way better economics than DraftKings just flushing a, a billion down the toilet, um, paying out to the leagues and TV stations and all the other forms of paid advertising. Um, but to your question of comparing this to other deals, yeah, I mean, this is, this is now public information. We've, we've kind of known about it for a while. Bowie's is selling monkey knife fight for single digit millions. And I looked up the press release. They had the right uh, MKF founders, uh, monkey knife fight founders had the right to get a $90 million valuation, $90 million of Bally stock. I'm assuming they had to hit certain thresholds to get that. That's typically how these deals work. Like if you hit X amount of top line, Z amount of paying users, Y amount of um, registered users, then we'll give you $90 million of stock. But uh, 50 million was the baseline. So the number, you know, sorted out to be somewhere between 50 million and 90 million. Like they're selling this thing for single digits of millions, like five or $6 million is apparently uh, possibly where that will clear. So yeah, Bally's is, we'll, we'll talk at a later date, how the Bally Chicago casino is going, which is obviously where I live. And I have a lot of thoughts on that um, endeavor, but Bally's is uh, has not made the best acquisition, certainly compared to uh, a pen. So they're, they're they're selling Monkey Knife Fight, not just like shutting it down. Um, selling it, yeah. They're trying to find a buyer for that. Yeah, trying to find a buyer for it. They've been shopping it around to a bunch of different uh, casino operators. Um, I've been told that the number will settle around like six to ten million, which is a far cry from the fifty to ninety that they bid. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so for those who don't know, uh, it is a memorable name, but Monkey Knife Fight is basically just a, a DFS company. It's, 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 you know, it's kind of, I don't, is it against the house? I forget, but it's whatever. It's, it's daily fantasy. And so, um, you know, I believe the, the thought process between acquiring this company and, and, you know, they weren't alone in, in sports books looking at DFS companies to acquire because you realize, and, you know, and FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, kind of proved it out to a certain degree is that, DFS companies operate in a lot more states, right? They were they've been operating for years prior to sports betting becoming legalized, and the you know you would think have a big database of customers in these different states um, who are big time DFS players, and therefore would translate into sports betting um, customers. And you know if you're Bally's, where you have a couple casinos here and there, but not a huge map like maybe a Caesars, let's say, you are you know thinking to yourself. Okay, well, when we go into you know state X and we don't have a, a brick and mortar casino and, and a database of players, how are we going to you know acquire customers? That was the thought process. But I think it is I think it's a good comparison because Bally's tried to operate Monkey Knife Fight as its own kind of separate entity, and so MKF was just doing their thing still. Like they acquired them for fifty million dollars, but then let them just do their thing still with no changes, and then create a whole new uh, brand called Bally Bet that no one really had ever heard of or used. And 
did not try to basically brand the sports betting app MKF, which is a brand that certain people had heard of. And again, if you compare that to Penn, right, Penn isn't rolling out a Penn uh, sportsbook app. The, the acquired Barstool, and they are using that name because people know that name. And so if you're going to spend $50 million on something that, you know, has a brand name or so you think, I don't see why you don't use that as your entry point uh, into sports betting and use that as like the, you know, to brand the app. Um, that ego. just makes sense to me. Yeah, ego. Um, I still just don't understand why they're keeping that silly looking bee, the red bee. Like I tell everyone, like when I think of the Bowie's brand, I think of a fitness, a retail fitness club in the suburbs of Chicago and like Niles, Illinois, that my mom would go to growing up. Like I just, nobody is associating that brand with, with a cutting edge, innovative sports betting company. Like I agree with you. Penn, Penn did the opposite of what Bowie's did and let things stand alone. And, um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily there to say, okay, re, uh, brand the entire sports betting vertical as monkey knife fight, but like do something at least like integrate it somehow, have it like a, as a window within the Bowie's bet, um, interface. So yeah, just, just a poor job integrating in. I think it's a lesson and obviously overpaying they're, they're going to get whacked. The mar- they already, they already, it's called an impairment when you write down a valuation from what you paid to what it's now worth. And they already impaired it. I'm actually shocked the stock hasn't fallen more on that last earnings call. They wrote it down like to from, you know, 80 to, to 20, I believe. Don't quote me on that $60 million impairment, but they impaired it for sure. So um, yeah, just, just a lesson in lack of integration and, and overpaying for a, a company. Yeah. Uh, and last, last thought on this, but like if, if their thought was that like, Oh, we'll just we'll just start sending you know Bally Bet offers uh, via email to MKF users and like they're they're gonna like to go download a whole separate app like no way like they're they're switching costs right like if you totally. use an app and you've got your money in there and you're familiar with it like that's what you want to use you're not gonna just because they're sending you an email about um, you know to to in addition download another app and and fund that app uh, as you know as well like that's not going to happen versus FanDuel and DraftKings where you can use like a shared wallet where like you you use the same money to play DFS and a sports bet um, that is how you properly integrate the, the those two products um, but speaking of uh, DraftKings uh, they came out with their uh, their earning their fourth quarter earnings last week uh, anything jump out to you there. Yeah, I mean, pretty close to flat on the year. So 2022 is pretty close to 2021 in terms of DK top line. Um, you know, uh, relative to so the the country as a the USA bet almost $100 billion on sports last year, which is obviously amazing. And that number will just continue to grow, in my opinion, for the next 20 years, maybe maybe 15 years conservatively. So, um but yeah, you know, you're flat, so it's it's obviously not incredible, but um some companies like Tesla and much larger tech companies have been cutting five to fifteen thousand jobs. So for, I think DraftKings cut like three hundred, like three to four hundred jobs, DraftKings cut. So way, way less than some of the other companies. And DraftKings has a lot of employees. Like as a percentage basis, it was much lower than some of these other uh, job cuts we've seen at Disney and Salesforce and Tesla and all those other large market cap companies. So um, yeah, you know, good enough um, to be to be close to flat on a year where the market just got destroyed and everyone kind of pivoted towards profitability. And DraftKings is not known as a company that's just willing to turn profitable at the you know 
turn of a corner. Like they want to spend, 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 and then eventually, you know, three to four years from now, cut a, uh, turn it into a profit. Like they've just been in money spending mode. So, um, good enough. You know, they'll, they'll, they've gotten through 2022. Hopefully the markets can kind of turn around here in Q1 and Q2, but, um, you know, d- decent year. I agree. Um, and so, uh, switching from buying or selling stocks, uh, let's, let's go into buying or selling sports teams. Uh, it is that time of the show for stake or swap. We are less than three weeks away from the best month in sports. That is the March Madness uh, tournament. Uh, so we thought it'd be time to talk a little college basketball. Definitely more college basketball will be coming uh, down the road. Um, first team we're going to talk about today, the Auburn Tigers, currently 100-1 to 1 to win the championship. Uh, I will go first. I am staking Auburn. Um, the other, a couple of days ago, I, w- I was looking at all the different sports books and where they had different teams. Um, and so, you know, Auburn's 101 at, at, at a couple books, also 80 to 1, 75 to 1. I was looking at Circa, and they have Auburn at 35 to 1. Now, that made me think. Now, you may say that could be one of two things, but maybe they took a huge bet on Auburn earlier in the season and, and they're just reducing it uh, because of the risk. Um, or, you know, there are some very sharp people that, that run the, the college basketball side of things at Circa, and maybe they know something about this team that, that most people uh, don't know. So it is, I mean, you see some differences in futures odds, but to see uh, Auburn at 101 in one book and 35 to one at what I would call a sharp book. Um, and look, Circa's not opposed to taking risk. And so if you thought they were really bad, they probably would still have them, you know, at 70 or 80 to one at, at least. So that was the first thing that made me think. Um, Joe Lenardi currently has them as an eighth seed uh, in the tournament. So, um, you know, I would say that they're they're totally secure, but it's not exactly like they're on the bubble. Uh, and then, you know, just looking at their stats, uh, fantastic defense. They rank fourth in the country uh, in opponent field goal percentage. Um, opponents shoot 44% from the field and fourth in the country in opponent three-point percentage uh, at 27.5%, which is uh, extremely important. Um, the three-point shot has become just, um, you know, a huge factor in, in these games. And, and it allows, you know, I think for more upsets, more smaller schools to just, you know, shoot the hell out of the three ball and, and hope to be the bigger school. Uh, I remember, you know, the school we went to, Arizona, uh, this maybe like four or five years ago, they lost to Buffalo in the first round. And we had, I think, I think that was the, the, the year we had DeAndre Aiden and they just, you know, they just shot it lights out from three pointers. And like, that's just, it's like the great equalizer. And so uh, if you can defend the three, um, I think that's a huge thing in, in, in avoiding the upset and, and winning some games in the tournament. So uh, I'm going Auburn a hundred to one to, uh, to win the tournament. Yeah, I uh, that yeah, that was DeAndre Ayton's year. Just another lesson in why big men typically are not good in March Madness. Another reason why I'm fading Purdue, but that's uh, the topic for next week at, at the at the earliest. So um, regarding Auburn, I am going to swap Auburn. I just feel like I obviously, if you can find a team at 100 to one versus 35 to one, like there's value there. So like just from a numbers perspective, like my goodness, like that's that's a great find. So good job price shopping, but. You know, they are sixth place in a down SEC this year. Um, nine losses so far. I do like Bruce Pearl. He obviously had that um, that 2019 
Final Four run. Um, the, the year before we canceled March Madness, he got to the Final Four. So he's a solid coach, but just too many losses in an uh, SEC conference with Kentucky as the third best team. Like they're not even ranked right now. Uh, and I'm Texas A&M is in second place in that division and that conference, I should say. And I don't think they're ranked. Don't quote me in the Texas A&M thing, but Kentucky definitely not ranked. They're in third place uh, in the SEC. So I will uh, I will swap Auburn. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, they, they did lose to Vanderbilt uh, on Saturday, although it was a two-point loss uh, on the road, but uh, usually not a great sign when uh, when you're losing to Vanderbilt. But uh, I stick with the pick. Um, I'm, I'm staking. I'm riding Auburn uh, until uh, the Sweet 16. Uh, next team we'll talk about, uh, going out west, San Diego State uh, to win March Madness, uh, also currently uh, 101. Uh, Luke, you go first. Are you staking or swapping the Aztecs? Yeah, so I'm going to stake the Aztecs. Um, they are 100 to 1 at multiple books. They are 101 at MGM, and I'm on Odd Cham right now, Party Poker. I actually don't even know what that is, but we'll just we'll go with MGM um, at 100 to 1. They are 75 to 1 at FanDuel, and FanDuel typically is known for very uh, low VIG futures odds. So um, interesting. Make sure you price shop, as always. Um, and then logic-wise, so they're ranked 21st. You can get 101 on a team that's a top 25 rate team. They got five losses. They've lost to Arkansas, who, of course, went to the Elite Eight last year. Eric Musselman's a really good coach. Uh, they lost to St. Mary's, which has looked incredible this year. They're, they're 25 to 1 in some books. St. Mary's is over in, uh, I think it's Walnut Creek. They're in the East Bay. I'm Northern California. Um, and then Arizona. Uh, Arizona, you know, number one team in the Pac-12. Um, they, they've looked sharp. Uh, Ton of teams look sharp this year. A, ton, a lot of those sharp teams have also had some very silly losses, including Arizona losing to, to Stanford, so among a couple others. So, um, But short list of losses and then some quality losses in that. Um, I will be staking SDSU at 101. Um, those are all fair points. Um, I will be swapping uh, San Diego State, um, you know, Great. They're the, they're the number one team in the Mountain West. The Mountain West is not a good conference. Um, the fact that the they're losing to other good teams, you know, okay, that's fine. But, like, that's usually not a great sign. I mean, like, you want to see these teams at least show that they can compete with some of the big boys. Um, and so I, I realized they, went, they did go to OT with Arkansas, but, you know, they lost by 17 to, to Arizona. Uh, and so, you know, when I, when I look at their team stats, you know, usually – uh, like those, those kinds of like golden years of San Diego State where uh, Steve Fisher was the coach and Kawhi Leonard was on the team, they had like a fantastic defense. Like, right, they would just lock you up uh, on the defensive side. Um, not so much the case uh, this year. Uh, 42nd in the country in, in uh, opponents' points per game, 75th in opponent uh, field goal percentage. And then we look on the offensive side of the ball, they rank 126th in the country in points per game. So I'm just not sure what the um, hang, their, hang their hat on. Uh, and so, you know, being the number one team, you know, and if you're just not, you're not playing that good of competition in your conference, um, you know, maybe they can win a, a first round game, but I just, I, I just don't see what, what the, the factor is here where, you know, they're not going to have great uh, experience coming in and they don't really play really well once on one side of the ball or the other. Um, so uh, for those reasons, I am swapping San Diego state. Remind uh, me, but, uh, and on next week's pod, remind me to tell the, the St. Peter's story uh, just related to teams that come from, like, a small conference. I watched them win their conference tournament, so we'll save that uh, that story for next I, week. I remember that. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll save that for uh, for next week. 
Um, and I, I was just about to say, you know, this is uh, the first of many uh, college basketball conversations to, uh, to come. Um, so, yeah, make sure that you are getting in right now on, on some of these futures because uh, every year there is at least uh, one long shot team that makes it, you know, to, to the Elite Eight or to the Final Four. I mean, St. Peter's, Loyola, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, so uh, make sure you're out there, uh, you know, researching, price shopping. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to, uh, to, to send it to the podcast. Maybe we'll answer some questions in the coming weeks. Um, hit us in our email inbox, info at propswap.com or feel free to send us a tweet. We are at PropSwap on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.